0: You are listening to a sermon podcast from Agape
1: Baptist Church. Recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, Church. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Uh, Good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you too. Uh, We're really hoping to connect with you. So do help us by scanning the QR code uh, that you would have seen on the screen and filling in the subsequent form. And if you do that, you can also expect to receive a free book of your choice from us. As uh, what you heard earlier, this will be the last sermon of the series, and I hope you've been so encouraged and so refreshed by the sermon so far. Uh, looking back, I feel like John has been so uh, gentle and so considerate towards us. I mean, if you were to imagine, right, just imagine yourself as a new Christian and, you know, you're, you're totally blur, you don't know anything and you're looking for direction, you know, looking for help for how to get started. And then you listen to John and John leads you step by step, right? Step one, uh, enjoy fellowship with Christ. Spend time with him, enjoy him, get to know him, journey through life with him, experience him. And then step two, don't forget to enjoy fellowship with other Christians. So Christian Christian fellowship is triangular and uh, a call also to seek to complete the joy of those around you. Step three, watch out for hypocrisy, right? Cling to the historic gospel of God's holiness. Walk in repentance. And even when you do fall, take heart. Christian fellowship is restorative. Step four, in whatever decision you make, choose Christian fellowship over worldly fellowship. Pursue eternal intimacy with God, not fleeting, faltering self-gratification. Now, by this point, uh, you know, you're no longer the, the, that fresh, very blur uh, Christian that you once were. Uh, you're more seasoned, right? You've matured as a Christian. But then over the course of this pandemic, you've begun to notice some very troubling things. So you say, eh, how come Christians aren't coming back to church for physical services? How come some Christians are arguing to be part of a digital Christian fellowship that hops from one online service to another, right? And and how come some churches are even trying to support and provide for that? Isn't Christian fellowship supposed to be so important? Eh? How come Christians are divided on whether to support efforts against racism uh, in the public square? How come Christians, uh, some of whom are pastors, you know, who were so passionate in the fight against racism 50, 60 years ago, are now calling Christians to slow down and to think hard before getting involved in racial reconciliation today? Eh? How come Christians are divided on vaccination, divided on dealing with LGBT issues? Divided even on how seriously to take the Bible and divided on so many other things. And now as a slightly matured, somewhat seasoned Christian, you know, you're looking to John for answers because right now you're not sure what is what anymore, right? And you're thinking, considering perhaps even leaving this Christian fellowship. And so in today's passage, John responds to the uncertainty, the confusion, the growing doubt, by making a call to us to guard our Christian fellowship. Uh, That should be on the slide, all right? So now John's churches were facing similar divisions and confusions about matters of faith, right? There were the false teachers, and then there were also faithful teachers, but it was getting harder and harder to recognize which was which. And the thing is, John's churches were really, really young. I mean, Christianity at that time was like 30 to 50 years old, And uh, most of the Christians were first-generation Christians. They had little family support in the faith, and they had few role models to look up to. And now as I think about it, you know, Agape isn't so different in that regard. We're coming up on only our 37th anniversary uh, very soon. And that's the thing, you see, we are really, really young. And if you look at Singapore as a whole, Christianity is also really, really young. Most of us are... Either first, if not second-generation Christians, Uh, some of the Christians that we look up to, right? The books, those people who publish the books we read, uh, like perhaps John Piper or Don Carson. You know, they come from a long line of Christians, and some of them even from a long line of pastors. And in contrast, you know, we Agapians are so young in the faith. And the same way, you know, many times when we think about guarding our Christian fellowship, we can be very uh, juvenile or immature about it as well. Now, sometimes we think to God, the way to guard Christian fellowship is the same way maybe how a political part, party might you know, protect its power. Or maybe it's the same way a corporation might preserve its interests. And so often our attempts to guard Christian fellowship is actually more worldly than biblical. So in light of our youthfulness, John makes four vital distinctions. And here they are the first one not your but our the second not what but who third not fear but faith and the last one not harmony but holiness so let's get started with the first distinction not your but our now like we heard last week christian fellowship is diverse all right uh, different points of view shaped by different experiences and different cultural backgrounds. But sometimes, this diversity can go too far. And so in the 1930s, when the Nazi, power, uh, Nazi party came to power in Germany, uh, many Christians, many uh, pastors, many churches, many congregations, they became supportive of the pro-German, anti-Jewish uh, sentiments of the Nazi party. And that that is just one instance of Christian diversity going too far. It had crossed the line. Similarly, in John's day, the false teachers had also gone too far. They had crossed the line with their different opinions and perspectives. So John raises the alarm. He says to his churches, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And so John is making a call to arms. He's telling the people, don't sit back. Don't slack off, be watchful, be careful, be vigilant. But what is John being, uh, what is he so concerned about? Well, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So John is concerned about certain spirits. Now, there is a supernatural element to these spirits, uh, and we will look at that later. But here, John is simply calling Christians Christians, To be watchful and vigilant about the things we hear, right? The things we are taught, the philosophies that we are introduced to. Because behind every teaching, every philosophy, there is either the Spirit of God or there is something else. And so here, John alerts us to two troubling realities. The first is this, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And so the first reality is that even teachings and philosophies that are not from God may actually appear to be so, right? So in fact, at, at a first glance, you know, you might hear something uh, and you might in false teachings and you might think, this actually comes from God. But John says, don't simply accept everything you hear, test it. The second reality is found in the next part of what John says, But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. The second reality is that the problem of false teaching and false philosophies is not outside the church, it's not there outside, but it is here inside the church. And these prophets and teachers, you know, they are considered false because their hearts were no longer captivated by God but their hearts were captivated by the world. And so when John says these false prophets have gone out into the world, he's saying that these guys have sold out to the world. They have sold out to the world. And even though their are loyalties with the world, yet these false teachers, these false prophets, they were still preaching from the pulpits. They were still counseling the Christians. They were still giving direction to the churches. And so in light of these two horrifying realities, John calls the churches to be vigilant, to be on guard and to test these teachings and philosophies. And similarly, we too ought to be on guard as well. Yet the danger is, if we just adopt what John is saying here, Agape Baptist Church could become a very cold, a very divided, a very isolated church, in a very suspicious church where no one trusts the preachers, no one trusts the leaders, no one submits to the elders. And here, I think it's important that we come back to the first word of this verse. And it's a beautiful word that John uses. He says, Beloved. And would you turn to somebody next to you and tell them, Beloved. Now, this is not a word that we use uh, very often, right? When you, when you call someone your Beloved, You're saying that he or she is your esteemed. He or she is your dear, your favorite. Some of you maybe are regretting saying beloved, someone else now. Now, it's an intimate term of endearment, and John is using this term to address every single Christian in his churches. They are all his beloved. Now, this is helpful for us because this one word reminds us that Christian fellowship is built on love not on suspicion or isolation or division. The very reason we are on guard is out of love. But another reason why this term, beloved, is so helpful is because we realize that John is not just speaking to one or two people in the church. He's speaking to everyone. Everyone is meant to be involved in being vigilant and on guard. You know, in our church, the responsibility of the elders is to oversee matters of doctrine, um, of discipline, and of direction. And that's why Pastor Guo Liang will be bringing us uh, the gospel and the vaccination next Sunday in place of the initial planned sermon. And this is intentional. You know, it's a way of helping us to keep our guard up. But this doesn't mean that the rest of the church just sits back, Right? doesn't mean that the rest of us, you know, point at the elders and say, hey, guys, you do the job, all right? Do your job. It's your responsibility to be vigilant, not ours. Because the truth is, guarding Christian fellowship is the loving responsibility of every member. Being vigilant is our responsibility. Being on guard is our job. And this is something that involves each and every one of us. So that's the first distinction, and we come now to the second. Not what, but who. So John has uh, given that call for every member in Christian fellowship to be on guard and to be vigilant against false teachings, false doctrines, false philosophies. But how should we go about doing that? John gives us a simple test. He says, by this, you know the Spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, today we live in an information age, right? Anything you want to know, anything you need to know, you just Google it, right? So even when you go on social media and, you know, if you were to post something that is somehow deemed ignorant or naive, people will scold you in the comment section, and they will tell you, to go and educate yourself, right? Because there is this belief that if you, you know, if you studied an issue hard enough, right, if you read the relevant articles, you follow the the latest research, you get the expert opinions, then surely you will arrive at the right perspective. But John disagrees. John says that testing philosophies and teachings is not firstly about educating yourself, it is not firstly about figuring out what the philosophy teaches, but it's a matter of discerning who is glorified through it. So, not what, but who. John is saying when we encounter any teaching, any philosophy, we need to go back to the gospel. And we've got to ask ourselves how does this teaching relate back to Jesus Christ? How, what does this philosophy say about Jesus Christ? How does it make sense of the gospel? And to John, if a teaching glorifies Jesus, it is from God, it's from the Spirit of God. But if a teaching compromises the gospel, then it is not from God, it is from somewhere else. Now, if you remember, in John's day, there were these false prophets who were teaching uh, what I called compartmentalization, right? So they were saying that uh, only stuff that has to do with the spiritual compartment is what is important. But anything that has to do with the physical, earthly, uh, fleshly uh, stuff, right? That, that, those things don't matter. But the teachings, these teachings, they totally undermined the gospel because Jesus didn't come as a spirit. Jesus came in the flesh. And if Jesus had not come in the flesh as what these false teachers were teaching... Then he did not die for our sins as well. And now you can see that the whole gospel falls apart altogether. And so immediately, John could recognize that this philosophy is not from God. This teaching is coming from somewhere else. And this is where I must say that I'm so grateful for Agape's journey back into the gospel. You know, I was just about to graduate from university when I finally understood the gospel for real. And at that time, my plan was to be a social worker after graduation. But when the gospel gripped my heart, I saw that nothing quite uh, explains life like the gospel. Nothing gets at the heart of issues, the issues that we see around us, quite like the gospel. And nothing really offers hope for healing and restoration just like the gospel. But above all that, I saw how the gospel brought across the mystery, the beauty, the majesty, the authority, the mercy, the loving kindness, the faithfulness, the divinity, the humanity of the person of Jesus Christ and nothing else could bring it out the way the gospel did. And I found that I could not continue in social work, right? Because as the gospel uncovered my heart, it also uncovered the worldly and godless philosophies that had been leading my heart to pin its hopes on social work and not on Christ. And so I repented. And from there, I wanted nothing more than to give my life to proclaiming the gospel, whether to Christians or non-Christians. And I think we all so need it. Here's what I want us to see. Savoring the gospel of Jesus Christ is a sure shield around Christian fellowship people, there is nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ in all the earth. You know, no religion looks at life the way the, the gospel does. No other philosophy makes sense of life the way the gospel does. And the gospel offers a very peculiar, very exclusive take on life. And if we were to delight ourselves in that gospel and in the Christ of that gospel, we would be able to smell the stench of even the most beautiful and attractive-looking false teaching that might parade itself as coming from God. So guarding Christian fellowship means discerning the who first and not the what. That's the second distinction. We come now to the third. Not fear, but faith. So John has given us a call for every member in Christian fellowship to be on guard and to be vigilant against false teachings and false philosophies The way we do that is by viewing each teaching through the lens of the gospel. And any teaching that exalts Christ and the gospel is of God, it comes from the Spirit of God. But any philosophy that does not exalt Christ and compromises the gospel does not come from the Spirit of God, it comes from another spirit altogether. So in the second part of verse 3, John says, This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, for those of you who do not know, uh, the Antichrist pops up quite a few times in in the Bible, and each time, you know, he's referred to with a different name. So in 2 Thessalonians, Paul calls him the lawless one. In the Gospels, Jesus calls him uh, the false Christ. But here, John refers to him, as the antichrist. Now, the antichrist is a big enemy of Christ who is to come, right? And his mission will be to deceive the world into denying the true Christ, right? This is the antichrist, right? He is the antichrist, and he will appear right before Jesus returns. But John is not talking about the antichrist. Here in verse 3, he's talking about the spirit of the antichrist, and this is where it is important to realize that besides this ultimate Antichrist, there are also smaller, lesser versions of the Antichrist. And these are in the world even now. So, first John chapter 2 verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. So in our passage today, John is saying that though the Antichrist has not yet come, there are other lesser antichrists who carry his same philosophy and who carry his same spirit in the world today. And so John is boiling down every teaching, every philosophy to either coming from the spirit of God or from the spirit of the antichrist. Now, recently I completed a, a book study with the leaders of the RAISE ministry Uh, We were looking at this book titled, uh, Instruments in in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul Tripp. And in that book, Paul Tripp says something very insightful. He says, advice is always moral. Advice always is defining right and wrong, good and bad, true and false, healthy and unhealthy. Advice always gives us a moral framework. Now, Paul Tripp is saying that there is no such thing as neutral advice. All advice comes from somewhere, and all advice is leading people somewhere else. Now, in the same way, John is saying that there is no such thing as neutral philosophy. Every teaching comes either from the Spirit of God, or it comes from the spirit of the Antichrist. And the mission of that Antichrist is to lead people to deny the true Christ. Now, this is quite a terrifying way of looking at life, right? I mean, everything comes down to either God or the deceptive power of the Antichrist. And you may start to wonder, just like maybe even the people in John's day, in John's churches, they might might have been wondering, hearing this. So what is real? What is the truth? Who do I listen to? Who can I trust? And again, the temptation for us as we hear this is to be ruled by suspicion, by paranoia, by fear. And I think John knows this, so he very quickly adds this in verse 4. Little children. Now would you turn to someone else and tell them, little children. This is your, your big chance for people who are little children, actually, and you can tell your parents, little children. All right, so here John is speaking to every one of us. And he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So John is lovingly giving us three reassurances. The first reassurance is that we are from God. We belong to the great God of the universe. And this God has set his love upon us. So why should we fear? The second reassurance is that we have overcome these antichrists. Now, what does John mean? John explains by giving us the third reassurance, that is that we have overcome these antichrists because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Now, who is this greater person who is in us? John has actually mentioned this person before in chapter 2. He said, but you have been anointed By the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. So, who is the greater one who is in us? He is the Holy Spirit. He is the anointing that we have received from Jesus, the Holy One. And through Him, we have not only the knowledge and discernment to expose the false teachings. Of the spirit of the Antichrist, but we have the power and the authority to overcome the spirit of the Antichrist. And so this is what I'm trying to say. The Antichrist desires anti-faith, but Christian fellowship rests in anti-fear. As much as the spirit of the Antichrist aims to deceive us and to lead us away from faith in Jesus Christ, yet we don't need to live in fear Because we are not alone in our Christian fellowship. The Spirit of God is with us too. So not fear, but faith. And that's how we are to guard Christian fellowship. That's the third distinction. Uh, Let's now come to the fourth and the final one. Not harmony, but holiness. So John has given a call for every member in Christian fellowship to be on guard against false teachings and philosophies. Every teaching must be measured against the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as we do this, we do so without fear, because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Now, this phrase, the world, it pops up quite a few times in today's passage. So clearly, John sees a solid dividing line between the world and Christian fellowship, and he makes this clear in verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. So to John, the false prophets, you know, they are allies of the world. They have sold out to the world. And so John tells his churches, you know, even even though these guys, these false prophets, they may have been regular members in your church for the past 10 years, right? They may have been pastors in your church for the past five years. You know, their kids have grown up with your kids, yet do not be deceived. Their true membership is with the world. That's where their commitment really lies. And so whatever they were teaching, it is not the Word of God, but the ideas of this sinful world. And because of that, don't be surprised when people outside the church, people who belong to the world, You know, they applaud and they praise and they promote their false teachings. But on the other hand, the true prophets, the true teachers, they are from God. They are the ones who, like John, had witnessed the gospel firsthand when accompanying Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. And so John says in verse six, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So to John, it's really simple. If you are not from God, if you are not filled with the spirit of God, you will never hear and obey and appreciate the true gospel. There's just no way that can happen. But if you are from God, you will recognize the truth of the gospel and you will obey it. And John says, this is how we regard Christian fellowship. Uh, This is how we distinguish between those who are of the spirit of truth and those who are of uh, the spirit of falsehood and error. And so there's a clear separation. But the thing is, many of us are probably very hopeful for harmony between Christian fellowship and the world. Many of us are hoping, you know, that one day the world would come to respect Christians, to speak highly of Christians. To look at Christians and to admit that, you know, Christians are actually okay. They are normal people. They are just like the rest of us in the world. But John is saying that such hopes for harmony are futile, they are misplaced. A couple of months ago, a major denomination in the UK voted to allow same sex marriage. And the media was a buzz, social media was a buzz, the world celebrated this change. And the most unlikely people, uh, they were, you know, they took to social media to praise these Christians and uh, to virtually pat them on the back. And some said, you know, they would be attending church for the first time that Sunday because now they felt like they were being welcomed by the church. And others who had felt discriminated and victimized by the traditional Christian position against same-sex marriage, they shared that now they felt accepted and loved by this change. Now, as I read this report on the BBC's uh, Facebook page and the subsequent comment section, I couldn't help but remembering um, another BBC article that I had read about a year back. In that article, uh, the BBC reported that persecution against Christians were at near genocide levels, real discrimination and violence and death among Christians all over the world. Details were given, statistics were presented, and from that article, you could sense how serious, how grave the situation was. But when you look at the comment section, the predominant repeated response in the comment section was, Christians deserve it. And some were more hostile in saying that, some were a bit more sympathetic, and there were people who claimed that they have been discriminated and victimized by the church and they were surprisingly showed they surprisingly showed very little empathy in the face of true discrimination and violence and victimization the other people felt like it was a shame that these christians didn't just give up their christian beliefs so that you know they wouldn't so that they have to wouldn't have to go through such meaningless and needless violence but by and large the opinion was that christians were only getting what they deserved now, do you see the separation, a clear separation between Christian fellowship and the world? John says they are from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Right now, the eyes of the world are, are, are on Afghanistan. And in the coming days and weeks, you know, big changes are going to take place in that nation, and the whole world is watching with fear and with fingers crossed, but I don't think much attention is going to be given to the experiences, the sufferings, the fear, and even the overcomings of the Afghan Christians. Why? Because we are from God and they are from the world. Now, I'm sharing this with you, not to encourage you to feel self-righteous as a Christian, or to feel like as Christians, we are the biggest victims in the world. If we truly understand the gospel, we would know that if not for the grace of God, we wouldn't be any different. I mean, if Jesus were to die today in our world today, you know, I tell you, many of us would be sharing pictures, videos, articles of of Jesus's death on Facebook, uh, on social media, over WhatsApp, on Telegram. And many of us will be uh, among the millions of people making comments like, lol, this guy talks so big, then die like that. This guy said he's the son of God. Lamal. The Christ. This is the Christ. Wow, oh, super fake news, man. Our government should have pothmar marked him sooner. Now, and then there'll be people who'll be saying, you know, where are all the psychos who were following this guy, right? You know, the authorities should take note of them and round them up. Now, we would have been no different from anyone else in the world. But the thing is jesus knows what this world is about he knew when he came how we would treat him how we would receive him he knew the hatred and mockery he would face yet jesus came he came precisely because this is the kind of people he intends to redeem this is the kind of awful sinners that he is determined to save he came because even though we are so hideous and unlovable in our sin He still loves us. So what right do we have to become self-righteous against the world when Jesus, the truly righteous one, gave himself for us? And what right do we have to feel like we're the biggest victims of injustice when Jesus himself, the pure, spotless lamb who was murdered for this world, never moaned or whined about how he was treated? So there is an unbridgeable separation between Christian fellowship and the world. Hoping to bring harmony between the two is not an option. But at the same time, condescending self-righteousness against the world is also not the option. Where we need to go is we need to take up our crosses. We need to suffer for the sake of Christ. And we must continue to reach out to the world across that unbridgeable gap by holding up the gospel, and by living distinctly holy lives. And I imagine that many of us will have to suffer abuse for it. But by the grace of God, the hope is that some from the world might come and join in our fellowship. So it's not harmony that we're looking for. It's not harmony that John is promoting, but he's calling for holiness. I'm going to put it like this. Our Christian fellowship comes from God. Our Christian fellowship lies under the authority of God. And our Christian fellowship lives unto the glory of God. So people of Agape, it is our loving responsibility, each and every one of us, to guard our Christian fellowship, savor Christ, delight in the gospel, guard our fellowship not out of fear, but by faith. And never forget, we are from God. The world might tell us, you know, we are divided by race, but we say, no, we are from God. The world might say, you know, we are divided by sexual orientations. No, we are from God. The world might say we are divided by gender identities. No, we are from God. And even regarding vaccination, the world might say, you know, you're divided by our vaccination status, and we say no. We are from God. We are from God. We are under God, and we live unto the glory of God. Would you join me in join uh, join me in prayer right now?
1: Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg